Around the Rock is brought to you by the Score Bet. With easy to use navigation and a simple registration process, placing a bet, depositing, and withdrawing your winnings has never been easier. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey. Must be 21 plus. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, contact 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit thescore.bet for more details. What's up, everyone? This is Joseph Cacharo. We'll get to the usual Pound the Rock intro with a special guest in a second. Just wanted to give everyone a heads up about today's episode. I was lucky enough to get a chance to talk to Matt Bonner, longtime NBA player, two years with the Toronto Raptors, 10 years, I believe, with the San Antonio Spurs, five years now as the uh, Spurs TV studio analyst. When we originally agreed to talk, uh, I had told Matt we'd have him on for maybe like half hour and we'd spend the first half of that half hour, so like 15 minutes or something, talking about his experience playing for Greg Popovich and being around Greg Popovich for the last decade and a half, because it's something I wanted to talk to him about with Popovich on the verge of becoming the NBA's all-time winningest coach, and then we said we'd spend, you know, like the back half, the last 15 minutes talking about uh, the 2021-2022 Spurs and DeJounte Murray and the kind of future of the franchise and where they go from here. Anyway, Matt was so gracious with his time, and honestly, we just got into such a great conversation about Coach Pop that 40 minutes later, we had only talked about Coach Popovich. So again, Matt was really gracious with his time and ended up giving us some more time after that to talk about the new Spurs and kind of where the franchise is going. But I think what we'll do for today, like I said, with Pop on the verge of becoming the NBA's all-time winningest coach, today's episode is going to be that first part of the conversation where we basically only talked about Pop. And then I think what we'll do is I will save the back half of the convo where we talk a little about this year's Spurs for maybe next week's podcast, another Spurs-themed podcast, or maybe even the first one when Wolfon's back if we somehow talk about the Spurs. But we will still get to um, some more Bonner after today's episode, talk about DeJounte and the future of the Spurs and all that. But for today, I guess it's like unofficial pop day here. Here's my conversation with Matt Bonner about Greg Popovich. Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and in place of usual co-host Joe Wolf on today, I am thrilled to be joined by 12-year NBA veteran, two-time champion, Spurs TV studio analyst, the Red Rocket, Matt Bonner. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, glad glad to be on, and I appreciate the Red Rocket intro. That's how I know you're from the T dot. That's right. Yeah. As, as I was telling Matt off the air, uh, my, my dad's been a, a Raptors season seat holder and I've been going to games for like almost, I mean, he's been a season seat holder almost 20 years. I've been going to games longer than that. So uh, Matt's first two years in the NBA when he was a Raptor probably went to 95 to 100% of those Raptors home games. So I saw I saw the first two years of his career um, before he obviously went and spent uh, 10 years, right? No, 10 years. Yeah. 10 years as a player in San Antonio and now five years yes. as the studio analyst. That's correct. Yeah. That so is, yeah, I've been with the Spurs organization I, now, fifteen years, sixteen years, sixteenth year. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, you noted even in the email I had sent you uh, to request your presence on this pod, you had noted the fact that we're called Pound the Rock, and we're wondering about the connection. Yeah. So even for our listeners that don't know the connection, so when myself and William Liu and and Joe Wolfon started this podcast, Dwayne Casey was still a head coach in Toronto. When he came to Toronto, he brought this mantra of Pound the Rock, which is 
you know, I think it's from, uh, I don't know what like proverb it is, but basically the whole concept of when the stone cutter, when, when they break the rock, it's not that last hit that breaks it. It's the first 999 or however many hits that, you know, you kind of forget about. It's like over time you chip away at it. And to kind of bring that mantra to Toronto, Dwayne Casey literally had, I don't know from where up north in Ontario, but like they got a chip basically off what looked like a mountain. It was a huge boulder <laughs> and he placed it in front of the Raptors locker room. Anyway, point of it is Dwayne Casey actually borrowed that from Greg Popovich and the Spurs organization. When you were there, like how much of that mantra was still there? How much was that something Greg Popovich still preached the whole pound the rock thing? Huge philosophy for coach pop. And it was r- written and framed all over the place, the practice facility and the arena in like 25 different languages. Uh, When you walked into the practice facility, we didn't have like a big boulder like the Raptors, but there was a rock (laughs) with like a, like a hammer, like a big sludge hammer in in like a frame. And uh, you, you completely butchered the actual proverb. Please please enlighten us with the real, with the real version. It's it's and I only know this because I walked by it like seven thousand times in my life. But okay. it's you know when 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 all else fails, I go and watch a stone cutter hammering away at his rock with so much as a crack to show for it. And on the hundred and first blow, it splits in two. And I know it wasn't that single blow, but the hundred that came before, something like that. That's that's the more poetic okay. version. I- than you're yes. butchering of that is- And both times we won the championship on our championship rings on the side, it, engraved in there is a rock with a hammer and the rock is split in two because that's like the ultimate. We finally split the rock in two and won the championship. That, that's the symbolic that's awesome. nature of it and why it's so meaningful. That's awesome. No one in uh, Toronto ended up getting anything like that because Dwayne Casey was, of course, one year removed from being in Toronto when they finally won the championship. But so, okay, like when you're a new player coming to San Antonio, is this like part of like, is Greg Popovich sitting people down and being like, hey, by the way, this is how we do things here. Here is the proverb of the stone cut. Like, is that kind of how it goes? Or is it just over time that you're, it's like you're indoctrinated with it? Yeah, over time, when I got there, they had already won three championships, I guess, 99, 03, 05. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and I got there in 06. So they, they had 06, 07, and we won the championship that year. So they had won it two years before. So obviously at that point, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, super established. They had other vets like uh, Michael Finley, Brent Berry, Jock Vaughn, uh, I know I'm forgetting other other Robert Horry, other players that that were winners, and the level of corporate knowledge and the Spurs culture was so prevalent that Coach Pop didn't have to tell you, sit you down, and tell you any of that. Just by being around those guys, you absorbed it through osmosis, and you know he'd never explain it. It was written everywhere that saying. In in games, if he thought we were if we were losing, but we were he thought we were playing the right way and making playing harder and smarter than our opponent. That's another mantra of his: play harder and smarter than your opponent for more of the forty eight minutes. Then he in a timeout, he might just say, you know, keep pounding the rock, keep pounding the rock. In other words, like you guys are doing all the right things, just keep pounding the rock. Eventually, 
the worm will turn. That's another one of his sayings. He has a million sayings nice. like that. The worm will turn, nice. which I guess when I really think about it, it's like, what is it? Because like a worm is the burrowing underground and it can't see and eventually it'll I, turn without real. I don't know. What, I don't get it. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, so nothing, you just get thrown in there. He doesn't explain plays to you. You know, I remember I got there and I, I was, we'd, we'd be uh, scripting plays. And back then it's so different. It's amazing how his coaching style has changed at the end of my career. when We won it in 14. And then the, you know, the next two years, it was the beautiful game. And a lot of it was just, just playing. He called it summertime. Like, like you're at playing pickup nice. in the summer and it was all free flowing, moving, spacing, just guys understanding general concepts and improv improvising and ad-libbing out of that general structure. Make sure we had, we had certain rules on offense, but it wasn't like, you, you know, you pass here, run here, set a screen on this guy. He curls around reverse. It wasn't like a set play like that. Uh, we, right. he had those in his pocket if he needed them to get a bucket down the stretch. But otherwise it was like, we were just out there playing. It was like poetry, poetry in motion. But when I first got there, it was like in the early mid two thousands, you were, I mean, you remember the games were like in the eighties and low nineties. Yeah. It was a much yeah, that, slower pace. And that Spurs was, nets. I know yeah. it was before you got there, but that Spurs nets finals. And I think, Oh three, and I guess even Spurs Pistons in 05. like those were just like well, no, grimy, my like, first year Spurs Spurs Cleveland when the bronze first Cats. finals those yeah. games were yeah those were just dra- pound them out pound it down drag it out and in that type of setting it's about executing in the half court and we had like a zillion sets like I can't even tell you 150 sets and and he doesn't he didn't teach a teach any of them. He didn't give me a playbook or anything. It was like, all right, you're in the second group. You got to watch the group in front of you. You got to listen to the point guard, what they call, and then watch your position in the group in front of you, script it, and then you go out and do the same thing. And over time, they stick. And back then, it was like, I mean, it was almost famous. Like, if you were new, it was going to take a few months to, like, before you felt comfortable in the Spurs system. And I remember, uh, like that was like right when the iPad came out, and they one of the assistants gave uh, Brett Brown and Coach Bud gave me would would sit with me for hours with an iPad, and they had files with like all the sets, and it, and it was like all in one clip that was like an hour and forty minutes long to run through all the Jeez. sets, and I just like watch it every night before bed. I just sit and like instead of watching a movie, I just watch the sets. And, and try to remember them. And then eventually, finally, they sink in. And you go from like constantly thinking about like, where where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? To just reacting and being able to be natural and play out there, which is what every player wants. Do you think that was because as chaotic as it kind of sounds and as tough as it sounds to try to like acclimate to that, whether it was by design or not on Pop's part, I feel like subconsciously you end up becoming more focused or like you almost have no choice but to put more effort into trying to learn like the plays or trying to figure out where you're supposed to be because it's not being like dictated to you or taught to you did you find that or absolutely that's exactly right and it wasn't about him like being like you know screw this guy he let him figure it out 
by him using that strategy, not only did it force the new player to really lock in and focus, like you said, it creates chemistry and, and communication because your teammates are going to have to communicate to you what you're supposed to do, get you in the right spot and help really help you out. So it helps team chemistry. It helps leadership. Uh, it helps you develop a bond by having to depend on your teammates for, for that, that type of situation where you're supposed to be and everything and just creates a tighter knit unit. He does it in drills too. You know, uh, he does this drill a lot of times at the end of practice and it would be like, it's like an up and down fast break drill, call it, call it mix master. And there's like six different drills within one. So there's like three out, um, which is like a guy in the middle and a guy in each fast break lane, left and right. And you pass to the guy in the middle, back and forth, finish with the layup, guys cross, and then you come back. Uh, he has three man weave. Uh, he has five, five man weave. He has four out, okay, he wow. has five out, uh, he has five out one way. So like you, you stop at the other end, you don't go down and come back. Uh, so there's like a million different variations. Ball can't hit the ground, ball hits the ground or someone misses a layup, everybody's going to run. And what he'll do is he'll, he'll tell like one, one or two guys on the sideline if the drill switches, it creates communication. So like, you know, he might say it like, this loud, like four, four out, like say we're doing three weave down back. And now he's like four out. And then it's up to the, whoever heard him to like really communicate and belt it out to the entire team that the drill switched. And if that communication doesn't occur, obviously we're going to be, or not everybody's going to be on the same page and we're going to screw it up and we're all going to have to, everybody's going to have to run. So it really teaches the importance of, of communication. Like, that translates into a game, like especially if you're on the road and everybody's it's an intense situation, you can't hear anything. And Coach Pop, the offense is on the other end of the court. Coach Pop can't yell to everybody on the team in all 94 feet what the what the set or what the play is. He might only be able to tell like me, like I'm the four guy, I inbound. He might only be able to tell right. me, like that's the only person that he's close enough. So he'll tell me, and then it's on me to like tell the point guard and then sprint down to my spot and make sure everybody on the team knows what it is. So it creates those right. habits of communication, which is so important on both ends of the floor to be the best you can be as a team. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense like that him doing it that way. Obviously it's like not, uh, it's not traditional from a coaching perspective, but it makes more sense because it's a lot more translatable than a coach yelling in an empty gym. Like it's more translatable to game situations than a coach just yelling his lungs out in an empty gym. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, if you just tell someone to do something, yeah, I mean, it, it, it can work, it can be effective, but he creates these like scenarios and situations in practice that, you know, you know, teach a man to fish. You know, instead of just giving them the fish, you teach them to fish that that old saying, like he just puts these situations that kind of force you to adopt the habits that he wants the team to have or the team needs to have to be the best they can be. Well, I like that we've like organically already, you know, spent like 10 minutes talking about pop because as I had told you, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is Greg Popovich is 
on the cusp of this huge milestone, obviously becoming the winningest coach in NBA history. He needs one more to break a tie with Don Nelson. Spurs came up short uh, in their first chance, ironically enough, against the Raptors on Wednesday night. Um, and and because you played for him for so long and you've been around the Spurs organization so long, that is a big part of why I wanted to have you on. So, I mean, you've already kind of given us a little bit right there just in some of like the non-traditional ways that Pop gets the best out of his players and gets that kind of laser focus out of them and gets the chemistry up. Have you seen a change at all? Like you mentioned that 2014 team, for example, where like the ball movement and just the way they played was so beautiful and so different than the way the Spurs won championships in 99 or 03 or 05. In his general coaching philosophy though, or his approach to players, have you seen a change in him at all? Or in that way, is his disposition still the same? Because like, I always think of it, you know, authority figures, however you want, even, even parents, for example, like the older they get, you know, like the softer they get in a way. Have you noticed yeah. that change in pop or is the disposition still the same? No, I totally get the parent thing. Cause it's like third kid gets away with anything in the oldest. It's like, <laughs> you, you know, super strict. It was like that in my family. My parents had three kids. I was the oldest, you know, curfew, you know, all these rules. And then by the time my brother got to high school, it was like, Anybody seen Luke in a few days, you know, and we have three kids now <laughs> yeah. and it's the same yeah. thing. My old, like our youngest is three and, and she, you know, it's like, ah, third kid, she'll be all right. You know, but <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, like by the, probably, by the times pop yeah. gets to DeJounte, it's a lot different than it was when it was Tim and David. Yeah. I, I feel like he's a little more relaxed than, than he was way back in the day. Um, but he can, he's still on it, you know, and he's still going to hold everybody to a certain standard and knows when, what buttons to push and when, as far as getting stern and a little scary sometimes. No, I'm just joking, not scary. But as far as like his overall philosophies and principles and mantras, that, that never changes. That's what creates the Spurs culture. And, and that's what's so important. That's why you see Spurs teams play hard and play the right way, no matter who's on the court. Um, the, the, as far as like X's and O's and in-game stuff, that's one of the genius things about, first of all, incredibly prepared. Like he is so prepared for every situation, um, especially come playoff time. I mean, it's almost like when you're in college and it's finals and you pull an all-nighter, like he's pulling all-nighters to prepare for his opponent. You come in, you come into the film room for like the first preparation film for whoever we're playing in whatever round. And it's like, uh, it looks like a scene from a beautiful mind, like, or like Goodwill hunting. There's just like, <laughs> it, like stuff everywhere, like notes, like, it looks like a mad scientist was working for there for the last week, but he's just thought of like everything and where, and he, and he trusts his coaching staff. He, he wants, he, he, uh, he empowers people to give them input, whether it's players or coaches, if they have an idea, if they think something's working or not working, he really uh, respects and takes that to heart and implements if, 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 uh, if he thinks it's best, he has no ego which I think is part of that, uh, which is also why you never, you never hear him talk about breaking the record. Like uh, obviously yeah. that, that's going to be, whenever it happens, it's going to be a big deal, historic moment, but he doesn't, that's not why he coaches. I don't think, you know, like it's for the relationships. It's to win, win, win championships, compete. Uh, 
uh, all that stuff, like the more meaningful stuff to him, I think. I got completely off. So, oh, so in game, in game, um, he re- has changed a lot, I think, from team to team or year to year, roster to roster, based on the strengths and weaknesses of his personnel. Uh, that's one of the things yeah. that, that makes him great X's and O's wise. Like he will adjust his schemes on both ends of the floor based on the strengths and weaknesses of his teams, of his players. Yeah, we saw that, you know, early on um, and, and with the league, with the times. There was a couple of years where our two best players were LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. And I mean, LaMarcus shoots threes now, but at, at first he didn't. They were they were mid-range assassins. So who he geared the offense around those two making mid-range shots when the whole league was going to threes. And the Spurs were like, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else in, in mid-range shooting, which goes against what any analytics guy would, would think or want to do. But hey, our, our two best players, this is their, what they're best at. So right. I'm going to adjust to give put my team in the best chance to win. You look at the team this year, they don't have like a isolation threat. They don't have anyone like DeMar, someone you can just give them the ball and say like, go make a play for yourself or a teammate. So our whole offense is like movement, spacing, attack, kick. We averaged like 30 assists a game this year. We, we still score, we play with pace. We're still up there in offensive rankings. And if you, if you showed our offensive numbers right now in game 60, whatever, to any, any pundit or analyst in the beginning of the season who looked at, at the Spurs roster, they'd be like, yeah, there's no way you can do that. And, and he's figured out how to do it, coaching to the team's strengths, or in this case, to their keeping away from their weaknesses. Uh, so he's, he's just great at making adjustments year to year and game in game adjustments and playoffs adjustments and from game to game in a playoff series, uh, just, uh, really locked in on that stuff too. I'm hoping he doesn't listen to this cause he hates it. People talk, <laughs> compliment him and talk about, he doesn't like that attention. Um, yeah. so hopefully he doesn't listen to this and get mad at me for, for <laughs> saying so many nice things about him. Yeah, I guess we're about to find out whether uh, Greg Popovich listens to the Scores NBA podcast. (laughs) We will, will Uh, for sure. (laughs) um, No, but I think it's interesting even what you're saying about like him kind of changing with the times and stuff. I I think a perfect example, we were talking a little bit about that 2014 team, but those two finals between the Spurs and Heat in particular, I know everyone looks back at like the 2015 Warriors. I was like, okay, this is this is when the game changed and stuff. And I get it, like full credit to that team. But I wrote a couple of years ago, about how I thought the chain, like the the seeing of the future of like what was coming in the NBA was actually those two Heat Spurs finals because between the kind of positionless pace and space way the Heat were playing and then between like the ball movement and the off ball movement and the shooting of the Spurs, like to me, that was the window into the future of what we have now. Like when you're in the moment in those, I know you're competing, I guess you're not really thinking about that stuff, but like. Is there at all something where like even you being in the heat of battle watching this thinking like, man, this is different. Like the way, the way our two teams are like, we're on a different level from everyone else. This is different. The game is changing. Like did any of that cross your mind while those series were happening? Absolutely. And especially with our bench unit, because it was like you had me, Shooter, Patty Mills, Shooter, Bellinelli, Shooter, uh, Manu, everything, and, and Boris, who. 
uh, one through five on the court. Like he's one of like, a kind. Right? Yeah, yeah. One of the most unique players in NBA history, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and like the way we played compared the contrast from our starters with like Tim and Tony and Kawhi, obviously had Danny green uh, who lit it up um, and Tiago splitter. It was like yep. two completely different teams style wise. So when you're, when you're playing us, you got to be ready and prepared to defend and play against two completely different opposite ends of the spectrum style wise. And I thought that gave us a huge advantage and you could see it in that second unit. Just what I was talking about earlier with the summertime, just free flowing. Yeah. Everybody moving, cutting the ball, never stuck to anyone. Everyone was just in attack mode playing. We could post up Boris, play off him screens. It was just all ad-libbed, all improv. There's no way you could like be like, all right, when the second unit comes in, this they're going to run these three plays more than anything else. We were just, it was anything goes. And, and we, we could just really take advantage and, you know, build leads. I remember, uh, the, I've ne- you know, this is fun. A lot, some guys go back and watch games. I've never gone back and watched an old game that I've played in ever. Really? Not once. Yeah. Not one time. What, oh, why is that? Uh, I don't, I have three kids. No, I, <laughs> I don't know. I just like, what's the point, I guess. I don't know. No, that's like, hey, that's fair. I mean, I guess you've lived it already. I, like I, I'm like I'm like brainwashing the Spurs way, which is like you 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 look you look back at the game the next day. You, you know, you you learn what you can from it, and then you move forward next game. You know, you don't let it linger. So it's I don't know. I've just never never gone back and watched one. But I I, I will say I remember in Game Five. It was that second unit that that ran away with it. We went on like a huge run, I think, in the second quarter. Patty Mills got hot, and uh, we hit a bunch of threes. Manu had that dunk, I think, and that was the game. And we won so many games just because like our second unit would come in and go on like a 14-3 run in six minutes, and, and that's it. That's a wrap. That's the game because our starters were awesome. You know they're going to at least hold the lead, and that would be the, the difference between winning and losing. And, and that that chemistry in 2014 was was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing to watch. And I think what you were saying about like being brainwashed in the Spurs way of like you, the, the game happens, you like you learn from it or whatever, but then you put it away. I think a perfect example of that and the Spurs way is like, I don't know, until this day, I say, I do not know how you guys or how any team could have come back from what happened in 2013 not just be like completely destroyed, like emotionally as an athlete, but to be able to come back the next year, go through the entire season again, get right back there again in the finals, play the same team. Like in case people forgot the way that 2013 series, like that's the, you know, with the the Bosch offensive rebound, the Ray Allen shot and all that. And then even after Ray Allen hits the shot, I remember Pop didn't want to use a timeout. Like you got, I, or maybe you guys didn't have a timeout. I can't remember what the issue, but you guys wanted to get the ball in and just like get that last play in and try to, you know, basically win the championship without it getting to overtime. And I can't remember if the refs had to check how much time was left or there was, there was an issue and the refs stopped it. And I remember even like Pop was like as apoplectic as I've ever seen him on an NBA court, like was just going nuts because he was so mad. You couldn't get the timeout. And and then obviously that game goes the way it does and the Heat win in seven. And I just remember thinking at the time, like, 
how, how does a team ever come back from this? Like the, the yeah. emotional effect of this and let alone you guys did the next year and you went back and you won the championship. So I think that does speak to what you're saying about the Spurs ways. You find a way to just like, okay, you, you deal with it, but then you get past it and then like, that's gone. We don't get to watch that again or live that again. Like it's now. Right. And I mean, just to highlight what you just said, you got to remember like game six, we had that lead with 32 seconds or whatever it was. Again, I've, I've never even gone back and well, I've seen the Ray Allen clip, but I've never gone back and really watched it. Yeah. Uh, since it happened, you know, they had the rope, they had the Larry O'Brien trophy in the aisle right next to our bench. Our family members had the cele- post-game celebration passes right behind our bench. Like that game was over. We were the champs. Yeah. And so to, to have that in the palm of your hand and have, have it slip through your fingers like that, forget how we came back the next year. We came back in game seven. Like, yeah. We we I just, we were obviously devastated after Game Six, and the way the way we came together and refilled the cup emotionally and psychologically to come back in Game Seven, it was a one possession game with under a minute left. Like we had a chance in Game Seven. I, I think after Game Six, everyone expected us to like get blown out by thirty in Game Seven, but but we didn't um, because we had that chemistry, that trust in each other. Coach Pop loves using uh, these like famous team dinners to create chemistry. And in that situation, that's how we got past it through that camaraderie, supporting one another. We had a, a long, awesome, well, it started out horrible because we were all like in shell shock that we just lost game six. But by the end of the dinner, you know, it's like, all right, you know, we still have game seven. This isn't a life or death. Coach Pop's a big perspective guy. Like, it's a game. This isn't life or death. We still have another chance in game seven. And our personalities were out and we're laughing and, you know, we're back. We're back, baby, mentally. And we were able to come back and give that effort in game seven. And uh, I remember I was sick in game seven. I, I somehow, I don't know what the heck happened, but I got sick. I had like 102 fever. I was like on the bench, like oh, wow. just shivering and twice coach pop, like came to put me in the game. And he, I remember he just looked at me and I was like, my teeth were chattering. Like I could, you know, you can't control it when you have a high fever. Yeah. And he's like, and then he like, didn't put me in and I'm like, but I like, what was I going to do? But like just an amazing group of guys. And then to your point coming back in 2014, I'll use it as motivation. We didn't let it defeat us. It was like, we have to, we have to get back there. We have to avenge this loss. We have to redeem ourselves. Like if we, if we don't, that's going to eat at you. That's something that'll eat at you the rest of your life, you know? Um, so that was a huge motivating factor. And when we got to the finals, the level of focus our team had against the heat to get it right was just on another level. Yeah. I mean, it looked like it. And even what you said about the perspective, it's funny because one of the last questions about pop, I was going to ask you was that from an outsider's perspective, or even from a media perspective, I know he can like bristle with the media sometimes and all that, but I think what I've always admired about pop is that he like really perfectly straddles this line. It seems between obviously, yeah, when it's time to take care of business, 
it's time to take care of business and winning is what matters and playing the right way is what matters. But he always had, even when he was this most intense coach that you were kind of scared of in a, in a way when you're younger or whatever, like he also had this perspective where he made it obvious, whether it was like when a big event would happen or, you know, when things like happened that were bigger than basketball, then he, like he made it obvious, like at the end of the day, he also recognized this is just a game. And as much as he wants to win, it's like, if you don't win, that's not the be all and end all in life. Can you at all talk to us about like what he was like, maybe on the softer side behind the scenes or in the locker room when it was not about basketball, when it was just time to like talk about life or, or not necessarily be coach Popovich, but just be Greg, you know, like the guy that's there. Yeah. I mean, that was arguably a bigger part of him and the relationship and the experience of playing for him than the basketball stuff. You know, a, a few things, one, he really cares about his players on and off the court. And when you have a coach that you know really cares about you and you build that level of trust, then he can really coach you. Uh, a second thing, he holds everybody to the same standard. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't, you know, let Tim, Tony, and Manu get away with things. Uh, you know, he'll go at them in film session just like he'll go at anyone else. Um, so, you know, that's that's huge as a new younger player coming in, be like, oh, he got mad at Tim Duncan for not boxing out on a possession. I better box out, you know, I'm not getting away with anything. Yeah. Um, and, and then the perspective piece is, is massive for sure. Like, you know, the, the number one rule to being a spur is you have to get over yourself. It's not about you. It's it's about the team. Um, it, doing what you can do to, to help the team win and have a great experience while winning um, through the relationships, the chemistry, the camaraderie, the trust, all that, all that stuff. And if you do that and that's your mindset, the per, all the individual and personal stuff will organically follow. Um, and, and we had great leaders besides the coaches uh, in Tim, Tony, and Manu who embodied that and all the other vets who were there. Everybody embodied that that philosophy, and and so as a new guy or a young guy, even if you weren't about that, you'd fall in line pretty quick. You know what I mean with, with that leadership, and it was mostly yeah. lead by example. You're, you know, what, how we started the conversation. No one's pulling you aside like, hey, this is how we do things here. Blah 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 blah. You you kind of know coming in because of their Spurs reputation, and then you you quickly see like, oh yeah, this is what it's about. Oh, this is awesome. I want to be a part of this and, and you do it, you know, but the perspective piece is massive with coach pop. He, I mean, he teaches young men to reach their potential on and off the court. I mean, I, there's a million examples, the, the community, um, charitable endeavors, worldliness, food and wine, literature, the arts, music, like across the board just expands your mind. Uh, I, I mean, when I got to the Spurs, I was, I mean, I still am obsessed with basketball, but it was like, like tunnel vision basketball. And it's, and he like opened my eyes up for like, Oh, there's like all this other stuff that matters. And I should be thinking about bigger picture and uh, taught me a lot in that regard for sure. I eventually do want to ask you about the current Spurs and a bit of the future. But before we get to that last, my last pop question, based on everything you've said so far is, is there one moment, two mo a memory, anything that like 
if you know years from now and someone's like what's your defining memory or one moment or anything where like where you can be like man that that was such like a cool pop moment or my favorite pop moment playing for him being around him is there one you can share with us or kind of like a little behind the scenes thing that 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 sticks out to you oh man there's there's a million uh i'm trying to think of one that i can share with you that coach pop wouldn't i mean not that i think he's gonna listen <laughs> yeah, to that the he podcast wouldn't. but uh let me think here I should have had one prepared because you told me you were going to ask about Coach Pop. There, there's some really funny ones, but you know how it is in the NBA. It's like keep it in the locker room. So I don't know if I'm supposed to. Of course, no, no, I get that. That's, that's why I said if if, if there's but, one you can share, yeah. Um, I I guess one. I guess going going back to the perspective. Oh, all right. Here's a here's a here's a funny one that I can tell. Okay. Coach Pop cool. has a has a great sense of humor. He doesn't come across it in the media, obviously, but he's ac- actually like really funny. And I would get heckled a lot in the when I played. I, I think it was the pale skin <laughs> and red hair. Uh, that's why redheads are so sarcastic and can laugh at anything because you just like self deprecating the terror. Yeah, it just comes with the territory. I think we were playing uh, mini Minnesota. And during one of the timeouts, some guy like seven rows behind the bench just kept, it was a timeout. So it was quiet. And he just kept screaming at coach pop to put me in the game. So like, come on, pop, put in Bonner. Don't you want to win the game? You guys are playing like crap. Put in Bonner. I thought you were, I thought you knew how to coach. You're just going at coach pop screaming and pop coach pops in the middle of the timeout, drawing up a play. And he stops and he looks, I wasn't in the game, obviously. And he looks back and he's like, Hey, Maddie, can you tell your dad to be quiet? <laughs> this is a good one. That's amazing. Um, but that, that was a funny one. But he, you know, he do, uh, you know, he understood the, like, just balance. I mean, like we'd come in and think we're going to have like a really hard practice. Cause we just had a played like crap and lost and we're going into film session. Like, Oh, this is going to be a marathon film. This is going to be awful. And and he played March of the Penguins, and that was it. And then go home. That's and, like, amazing. That, that once yeah. we come in and like we'd go to like Brook, uh, Brooks Army Medical Center and visit the w- wounded warriors and talk to them and hear their stories and play play wheelchair basketball and stuff. It's cool. When we lost in uh, two thousand in two thousand sixteen, my last year, we we won sixty seven games. We were sixty seven and fifteen. And that, I think that was the year the Warriors won 73, if I'm not mistaken. It was, yeah, because I remember you you guys you guys were basically the best, second best team ever. Right. But I felt like we all felt like we kind of had the Warriors number for some reason. Like we thought like they were we were a good matchup for them. And we were we were very excited to try to get to them in the conference finals and try to win win one more championship, you know? But there was another team, Oklahoma City, who still had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and Serge Ibaka yeah. all in their primes, and um, we had to, we had to get by them. We go up. I think we went up two nothing. It was like all right. I remember you guys go. blew them out one of those first two yeah. games. I, I don't know if it was two, maybe it wasn't two nothing. Whatever we lost. But if it was one nothing, you guys blew them out. I remember that. Or maybe we beat, blew them out, and then, or we lost that by one, or like it was a heartbreaking series loss. We lost four games to two, 
I did just double check now, actually. So you you guys won game one of that series by 32. Yeah. And you went up 2-1 in the series, but lost in six. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. And uh, I mean, they were really good. They they should have they should have won a championship probably at some point. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, we uh we came back. We were super bummed. We come back to San Antonio the, the next morning. We have like our exit meeting. And Coach Pop, we're in the film room, and Coach Pop has his whiteboard thing, and he pulls it open, and he wrote on the whiteboard, like, number one, a mudslide killed 86 people in a village in Peru or something like that. And then I had number two, suicide bomber detonates himself in a public market in Afghanistan um 128 people hospitalized or something like that like number three an earthquake in nepal you know like these like major life-altering events and then number four was like a basketball team from texas lost or a team from texas lost a basketball game in oklahoma and it was like oh okay like life goes on and he's like look you guys played your hearts out you did your best so you can't win them all um, use it, learn, we're going to learn from it, use it as motivation to get better. And, you know, we start again next year and, and cause it, it just like kind of brings you back down to earth. Um, going back to the perspective stuff we were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that doesn't get better than that in terms of having perspective and like realizing like where the game sits in the level of importance and where it doesn't, uh, in the grand scheme of life. Um, Matt, really, really appreciate you taking the time, man. We went way over what I said I was going to keep you for. So seriously appreciate it. Um, Listen, thanks for Joseph, thanks for I, continuing I work, to pound the rock. Yeah, no, I've been working for home from home for basically two years, and I have three kids. So doing podcasts is like my social hour. So it's this is <laughs> nice. fun. Thanks for having me on. We should have we should have had a couple pints and made an evening of it. Damn, you know what? Yeah, for real. We should have. I've got some here. We should have poured some and done that the whole time. I know. Missed opportunity. Yeah. We'll have to have you I back know. on one time for another Next late time. night it, session. Although, and then we'll if do we had thing. a couple pints, yeah. we'd probably go even longer. Yeah, if we had a couple pints, I might have got a couple uh, more pop stories out of you that might were, maybe we're supposed to stay in the locker room. Although, if we're talking pop, we probably should have gone wine, right? Yes. He is, he is a vino expert, so I've heard. Yeah, for sure. All right, Matt. Thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. All right. No problem. All right, again, that was part one of my chat with Matt Bonner. Part two on the current Spurs, DeJounte Murray, the Spurs future, uh, will come sometime in the future. For now, before I sign off, wanted to get to this week's fan shout-out. Goes out to Spencer in downtown Toronto who uh, reached out via Instagram DMs about a month ago uh, to let me know that he has been a long-time Pound the Rock listener from back in the Will Lou days, so our original Pound the Rock days, the first few months we were doing this pod, almost four years ago now, which is crazy to consider. A couple things I love that Spencer brought up from those old days, a, a make-or-miss segment for old time's sake. Again, anyone that's been listening from the beginning probably remembers when our show was a lot more segmented and uh, we had that make-or-miss segment. Also shouted out court surfing from back in the day, on the old Score TV network. So uh, yes, shout out Court Surfing. That was before it's time. And then last thing I have to get to, oh man, Wolf on catching strays while he's not here and can't defend himself. But hey, a shout out's a shout out. And uh, this is what Spencer asked for. He said, he knows I already flacked Wolf on for it. 
but let him know that he has hit max level Fugazi for not having Harden in his all-star selections. Spencer, I appreciate the message. I'm sure we'll fund us too. A couple things on that note. One, uh, bad timing on my part that we're reading this shout out after Harden very much disappeared in a big game against the Nets. His former team on Thursday night, which very much, as much as I love Harden and his game and, and think the Sixers absolutely made the right choice trading for him, that also does fit very much into the narrative I was pushing earlier this year on this podcast, which is that, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But when the going gets tough, James Harden gets lost. Last night, good for that argument. Not as good for our Harden all-star argument or Wolfon being a Fugazi argument in Spencer's case. Uh, and also, I will say, for as much as I flack Wolfon about not having Harden on his, in his all-star picks, which I still think is absolutely crazy, a guy I did have as my last reserve in the West, which was Wiggins, not looking so hot right now. So we all win some, we all lose some. But uh, seriously, Spencer... Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for reaching out. Wolfon and I both appreciate it. And the usual call out to all of our listeners out there, whether you're a day one listener like Spencer or someone who's just tuning in for the first time today on episode 229, hit me up on social media at Joseph Casharo on Twitter, joseph.casharo at thescore.com, email, Instagram, joe underscore 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 cash. Hit me up. Let me know how long you've been listening, where you're listening from, what you like, maybe don't like about the show, whatever. And I promise we will get you a shout out on a future episode. Until one of those future episodes, for an absent Joe Wolfon, for Matt Bonner, I'm Joseph Casharo. Pound the Rock.